Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Lobethal Baptist Church. I, uh, yeah, thank you. This, this will be my second time getting the uh, privilege and honour to speak here. And um, I'm, I'm very excited. It's, uh, it's been a beautiful morning just spending some time worshipping. I don't think you could have chosen more appropriate songs um, for what I'm going to be speaking about today. And uh, so it, it's, just, it's good. I'm loving the vibe of this building. I love Her Majesty, the, <laughs> the Queen. It's uh, long may she live. <laughs> All right. Um, so, look, we're, we're going to go on a bit of a journey today. Um, going to go in some, some heavy places, but stay with me because there is good news at the end. And that is the, the beautiful, beautiful truth um, to what we, what we declare when we find ourselves reading the Bible. And uh, as we journey, indeed, from Genesis all the way through uh, Revelation, we get this journey of good things that go wrong and then battling with the consequences of that until we come to Jesus. And then we get all the way to Revelation where the good news is finally manifest in all of its glory. So on our, on our journey, we are in the book of Acts and we are up to chapter 9 and I'm going to be reading from verse 32 to 43. So feel free to read along with me. It should be up on the slides there. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. Aeneas? Aeneas? I'm going to call him Aeneas because that feels easier. Who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, Get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Pretty cool Little section, two cool stories where we've got 
a cripple, bed-bound for eight years, paralysed, feeling the full effects of the curse. We have a woman, Tabitha, dead, well and truly feeling the full effects of the curse. Now, if you're taking notes, my title for this message is Reverse the Curse. It's an imperative. I only learned about what imperatives were when I started learning French. But it's an imperative. Reverse the curse. Reverse the curse. This is a command, something that we are commanded to be a part of, to be partakers of. And it is something ultimately that only Jesus can do. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when you take a look around, it's pretty easy to see a lot of the effects of the curse. We see people in sickness, we see people dying, and when it's loved ones, it hits all the harder home. But I must say, in Australia, we do a fairly good job at kind of putting it behind the curtain, kind of sterilising it, kind of having beautiful places like hospices where people can go and die, and it's not so much in our face, it's not something that we think about all that often. Um, and so for myself, um, I work as a doctor, as an anaesthetist in, in um, a number of different hospitals. I find myself almost in a privileged position where I am actually exposed to the, to the full effects of the curse, to death and dying. And it's something that I have the ability to think about and ruminate on a lot. And for me, I think that gives me a bit of a unique perspective um, when it comes to looking at life, at death and at eternity. And I can tell you from experience, even in our sterilised atmosphere of Australia, even in the theatre block, when we have a patient come in that's got cancer and that we all know this patient is not going to make it, there comes over the room a certain solemnity, a certain silence and people talk more in hushed tones and you hear the conversations change to, oh, this isn't fair, this is so sad and all the more so when it's somebody who's young. For instance, we had a young mother the other day who's got three young children who came in with a recurrence of her cancer and for sure this is going to end up being her death sentence and the, the conversations amongst the room is like, how can this happen? Why is it always to the good people, to the nice people? You know, you know, it, this just sucks. And there's a, there's a groaning, there's a palpable groaning that we experience in the theatre as we're tasked to look after this person who we know ultimately we might be able to chop out a bit of the cancer, but it's so spread throughout the body that, that it is going to have its way with, that, with this patient. And so... There is, well and truly, this groaning that we experience when we're faced with the effects of the curse. Now, Romans 8 puts it this way. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You see, we are under the law of entropy. We are, from the moment we start taking our first breath. The clock has started to the day that we are eventually going to die. Our heart is actually only going to beat a certain amount of times and then it will stop. Death is one of the things that is, one of the two things in life that is certain, isn't it? Death and taxes. The, the uh, Kaheleth, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, death comes to us all. And I'm sorry to be um, being so morbid, but this is a reality that we must all 
at some stage in our life face and confront. And I'm going to be talking to us about the great hope that we have as Christians, as believers in the one who beat death coming up soon. So hang with me through this morbid time. So to bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I love that analogy of the childbirth, that we are actually almost, uh, yeah, the, the, picture, the picture is of a, a pregnant woman with a baby inside and this is all the reality that they know. But one day that child is going to go through a terrible violence, <laughs> being squeezed through a hole that is puny compared to the size of the, the kid and, <laughs> and come out in, in this rage of screaming and sweat and blood and come out and enter this new life. And that is what the whole of creation has been subjected to. We are, in a sense, in this womb of the earth, waiting to be born into eternity. But in the meantime, there's contractions, there's pains, there's moments of joy and relief and respite. But there is pain. There is very real pain. And when I think about, oh, am I qualified to, to preach this message? Having not really suffered much myself, I have indeed lived a very blessed life. But again, in my role as a doctor, I have been witness to some incredibly sad things, to some incredibly hard things that have left me with that inward groaning of, Lord Jesus, come, bring your kingdom now because this is so hard. This is so much pain. One such time was when I did a um, short-term mission trip to South Sudan and there's a few photos that um, you can put up. Now, South Sudan, it was in 2012, so a year after they'd won their independence from Sudan. So that, this is coming off the back of 17 years of civil war, 17 years where anybody that could got themselves an AK-47 and fought for life and death and many hundreds of thousands were killed over this period of time. It's a place where when you are stand outside and I was there during the dry season, it's so dusty that you could look straight at the sun and wonder, is that the sun or the moon? Because it was just so thick in the air. Where when you looked up ahead, there was... Um, a perpetual sort of battle going on between these crows or ravens circling around, these hawks, these birds of prey and vultures just everywhere circling above. It was like death is in the air. And unlike Australia where we have this world-class um, medical system, they have almost no medical infrastructure whatsoever. And so death is a daily reality for the people over there. Um, this was the... Uh, oh, sorry, if you just go back one slide... Um, this is the hospital um, where, where I worked, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, we didn't even have oxygen um, to, <laughs> to treat patients with. But they did a good job. It was so stinking hot there that um, most of the patients would sleep outdoors underneath the um, veranda. And um, that's where a lot of the treatment would take place. And one particular day, which I will... Never forget, which was very much the worst day of my medical career, was um, if you go to the next slide, we'd gone and done an outreach clinic. So this, the other slide was the hospital and then for hundreds of kilometres there was nothing. <laughs> no other care, just these random scattered villages. 
And so we'd driven in the back of a uh, four-wheel drive. I'd sat kind of crouched up there because we had to load everybody in, all the medical supplies, and did a clinic um, under that mango tree there. And must have seen about 50 people. Um, so we drove out for about an hour and a half, sitting crouched. The fumes were somehow getting in the car. I just felt sick as a dog, pretty miserable. This was right at the end of the couple of weeks uh, that we were there. And seeing about 50, 50 patients in a matter of a few hours, th- all through an interpreter, a lot of people with stuff that we just could not do anything about. Um, you kind of think, I'm glad I was here, but boy, this is heavy and hard stuff. Then an hour and a half back, crouched up, just want to get home and just lie in my bed and just sleep. That was all I could think of. And as we got back to the clinic, um, one of the, the nurses came and said, Dr. Brian, Dr. Brian, we need you, you know, come quickly. There's, Unfortunately, what had happened was there was about an eight-year-old child who had spent the last week with his mother doling out all her money to the witch doctors to try to fix him from what I'm pretty sure was cerebral malaria. And not surprisingly, all of the different potions and stuff had done the effect of nothing and he'd slowly began to die. And by the time he was brought in, he was actually lying there doing what we call chain stoke respiration, which is this agonal gasping of... (gasps) And we know when we see that, that it's a pre-terminal state. They're about to die. And I kind of went into Dr. Mode, okay, let's get a cannula in, let's get some fluids into him, let's start some anti-malarial drugs so that we can maybe do something. And as I was busy rushing, getting people running to and fro, getting the drugs mixed up, the nurse next door said, Dr. Brian, come, the baby's just died. And we'd had a baby that we'd been looking after again, I think, um, with malaria, um, who had just died in, in its mother's arms. And I raced in and I'm like, no, this, this can't be happening. I, up to that point, I'd never had a, had a kid die on me. And so I'm going to, okay, ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. So started, grabbed the, the um, bag mask, started ventilating, started CPR, and got a couple of minutes in and a few cycles in and realised whatever I do here, this child isn't going to live because it's not like they've just gone into some fatal arrhythmia and you can zap them and go them back. We didn't even have a defibrillator, even if that were the case. The process of death had well and truly taken hold of them. There was no ICU that I could put them in after. There was no intubation equipment. There was no ventilator that I could put them on to maintain their organs um, to keep going. And so I just said to the mother, I'm so sorry. And she picked the baby up and walked out. Because unfortunately for for those guys, death is such a a common occurrence. And I believe that was the second child that she'd had that, that had died. And she walked out and just as she did, the nurse came from next door and said, Brian, come quickly. This child has now died. And at that point, my heart just sunk I didn't think it could sink any lower, (laughs) sunk right to the floor and I realised, okay, again, we don't have the equipment, we don't have the expertise, we don't have um, the ability to save this child. And I felt well and truly that this is not how life is meant to be. This is the curse taking its full effect. This is the creation itself groaning with groans that that are just begging for the liberation of the glory of God. And so 
Today, as we journey through this, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the cause of the curse. Why is it that we live in a world where there is so much suffering, there is so much death, there is so much pain? How is it that we experience the curse? And how can the curse be reversed? And so I ask you to journey with me as we go through these things. So first of all, the cause of the curse. As I said earlier, death comes to us all. And it is actually, in a strange and weird way, a blessing that death comes to us all. Because this is the truth. In a world that is fallen, in a world where there is sin, that sin must come to an end if we are ever to experience heaven. Now, this is one of the great ironies and one of the things that the world throws at God and says, if there is a good God, how come this person can die? If there is a good God, how could he let these dear two children die? How can this be? But in a world where God has chosen us as his people to have free will, to have the ability to be in relationship with him and to love him, he has enabled a world where we can take of that fruit as our forebears Adam and Eve did, where we can choose to rebel against him and thus bring sin. And on that day when Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate of it, what was pronounced? Death. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, death is God's answer to our problem of sin. People rail and shake their fist at God and say, how can you allow this to happen? And then in the very next breath they say, well, why does God allow death? This is terrible. How can God allow evil and sin to carry on? But how dare God let my loved one die? Do you see the contradiction there? If God doesn't bring death, sin will continue. But when God brings death, people accuse him of not being good. You can't have it both ways, friends. And you see, the Bible tells us very clearly that unless a seed falls to the ground, it cannot rise up and bear fruit again. And so death is God's vehicle to end sin that we might one day be raised in perfection, no longer under the curse, no longer under this groaning of yearning for something better, of yearning for this pain to come to an end. But one day that promise is that God will resurrect us from the dead. Now, what has this got to do with our passage in Acts chapter 9? Well, we see Aeneas, we see Tabitha, two people that are fully feeling the effects of the curse. One crippled, one dead. And we see Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the disciple who not too long ago was so terrified of, of uh, man that when a, a little slave girl said, hey, weren't you with, with Jesus? He denied him three times. Now Peter has had an encounter with the resurrected Saviour of the world. And Peter is a transformed man. And so Peter comes to this place. And you see in the book of Acts, it is a, a picture of the kingdom of God touching earth and spreading out. And so Peter comes, first of all, to Lydda. And he encounters Aeneas. Now, um, I've kind of mucked up my, my spacing here, but that's all right. He encounters Aeneas, who is paralysed, and then Tabitha, who is dead. 
Now, these two are pictures of the state that we find ourselves in, in this world. And as you read the Bible, it certainly leaves us with no other option but to say, all of us are fallen. Here's a few verses that I want to want to um, go through. Romans 3.19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the Lord. law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the law was given us to us not to save us, but to show us we are guilty before a holy and perfect God. To show us that we are under the curse of the law. I'm not going to go through all the Ten Commandments, but one doesn't have to go very far to realise if we are guilty of breaking anything, we are guilty, one of them, we are guilty of breaking all of them. Do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery even in your heart. Do not lust, do not look at a woman with lust, Jesus says. Do not murder, which he qualifies by saying, do not even harbour hatred towards your brother or you are a murderer. Do not covet. In our consumerist society, we are brought up, we are perpetually being influenced to be covetous of what our neighbour has. I could go on, but you get the point. The law shows us that we are sinners and that one day we will come under the curse of law and die. Psalm 14 verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. In 1 John 1, 1.8 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in Romans 23, 6 verse 23 it sums it up and says, The wages of sin is death. And so the cause of the curse is sin. Where there is sin, the remedy is death. That's the bad news. Are you all feeling good? Are you all feeling light? Hang with me. Because we're going to look at how we experience the effects of the curse now. So first of all, I want to have a discussion. I don't, don't want to proclaim to give the answers. But why God doesn't heal? You see, I bet you there were a lot of people in Israel at that time and indeed in the world that were crippled, that had died, that, that God didn't choose to heal on that particular day. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, we saw Stephen who was martyred to death. And I kind of read that and think, God, what an opportunity to show your power and to you know, change the hearts of all these Pharisees. He's just been martyred. He's smashed up by rocks. He's dead. Raise him to life, God. Raise him to life. All the people might turn to you. But God chose not to. Now, if I was God, <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not, hey? I mean, Luke chapter 16 tells us that um, even if someone were raised from the dead, if they don't believe the word, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, then sometimes that is not even enough to save them. Sometimes people are so hard of heart that even when they see someone raised from the dead, they won't believe, which is exactly what happened with Lazarus, who Jesus did raise from the dead, and then they tried to kill him. We can be so hard of heart. 
that we cannot even believe sometimes when God does the miraculous. But fortunately, that's not always the case. Sometimes God does heal. But in a, to, to, to talk about why sometimes God doesn't heal, ultimately, Tabitha died. Lazarus died. And so there was a time where God chose not to raise them from the dead perpetually. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42, that we actually must die, that we may be raised to eternal life. It says, It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised in our spiritual bodies to live forever. In verse 50, he goes on, What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? Is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. We need our new bodies. We need to pass from the womb out into this world. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 is just the best chapter in the Bible, I think. Uh, Maybe Romans 8, but um, they're up for debate. When it comes to being confronted with the consequences of the curse, 1 Corinthians 15 gives us incredible hope. Now, um, the other reason that sometimes we have to accept as to why God doesn't heal is the same answer that God gave Job. Has anyone read Job and been really confused? Why God would allow this dude to suffer so greatly? And then what was God's response? It wasn't, here Job, here are the seven reasons why I've allowed this to happen to you. This is all the different things because people in the future are going to be really encouraged by you. It's going to build your character. You're going to learn to trust me. And God never said any of that. What was God's answer? It was, be quiet, Job. You cannot possibly understand. I am God. I'm the one who put the stars up in the heavens. I'm the one who knit this world together. I am the one who knit you in your mother's womb. Until you can understand everything that I know, there are some things that you are just not going to be able to understand. But I am God. I am sitting on the throne. And if you want to know if I love you, I'm sending my son to die for you. I'm sending my son to be the accursed, to take the curse of mankind. And if you can understand that, then you can understand that you can trust me even when you cannot understand the pain and the suffering that you are going through at this time. But in our particular passage, God did choose to heal. God sent Peter along to Lydda, knowing that Aeneas would be there crippled for the past eight years. And what did Peter do? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, take up your bed and be healed. What a beautiful picture. And this echoes exactly the same thing that Jesus did, didn't he? 
when he came across cripples, when he came across lepers, when he came across Lazarus who had died. The exact same thing happened. Why did he do that? It was a show of power. It was a show that what I am saying is backed by the very power of God. I'm not just saying this lovely, nice, pie-in-the-sky stuff, but that you may see and that you may believe, rise up, Aeneas. And that is exactly what happened. He stood up and the people believed. It says, all the people in Lydda um, um, turned to the Lord. Then we get to the, to the resurrection of Tabitha. Now, I'm guessing she was pretty old. She was already a widow. And maybe I'd be fascinated to know how much longer she lived after she was raised from the dead. But this is a particularly beautiful um, occurrence because here's this woman. She's surrounded by all these people that she's cared for and loved and they're showing him the blankets, going, Peter, look what she did. We just love her. We just want her around a little bit longer. And so Peter says, in the name of Jesus, um, Tabitha, get up. And she sat up. Now, Jesus did this with Lazarus, as I mentioned. Who knows how many other people that might have happened to that uh, isn't recorded in the Bible. John tells us that if he recorded everything, there would not be enough books in this world to record the wonders that he was able to behold. But why raise from the dead? It's because of one simple thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, again, what does Paul say to us? He says, um, "If, if only in this life we have Jesus, then we are of all men to be most pitied. If the resurrection didn't happen, then we've got nothing. We've got nice communities. We've got lovely people. We've got cookies. We've got tea and coffee. We've got, we've got good things, you know. But ultimately, if this is all our hope is in, if our hope is only in this life to make this life a comfortable, you know, experience for us, then we've missed the point of the gospel. In fact, if all we're hoping for in this life by following Christ is comfort, then we've actually put a false Christ on on the altar of our life. We've made an idol and we're going to be terribly disappointed when someone close to us dies. We're going to be terribly disappointed when we actually face the promised persecution as believers and followers of Christ. When we realise that this life is hard, that 11 of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus were martyred, were murdered for their faith in following Christ, we're going to be very disappointed. If our hope is only in this life, then we've lost the point. But if our eyes are fixed on eternity, if our eyes are able to trust in the resurrecting power of the risen Son of God, then all these things are going to happen to us, the persecutions, the sufferings, we're going to be like Paul and say, I count them as rubbish I'm not worried about this stuff because this is not my world. I am just an alien passing through. I have the kingdom of God to look forward to. Yes, I'm going to suffer. Yes, there's going to be hard times. Yes, there's going to be sorrowful. And I'm not trying to take away from that. Jesus wept when he heard Lazarus died. Jesus cares about the sufferings that we have now. But in light of eternity, 
they are but a vapour, a passing of the wind. And our hope is in something that transcends our current experience here on earth. Our hope is in something far greater. And as to put an exclamation mark on that point, Peter raised, Lazar, uh, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. To put an exclamation mark on, on Jesus' promise that he is the resurrection and the life. He rose from the dead on the third day and ever since then has been changing millions upon millions of lives, ushering millions upon millions of people's souls into heaven on that glorious day. And this is the hope that we have as Christians. And so we see when Jesus came, he reversed the curse that the world was under. The curse was if you had leprosy, you were unclean. You touched somebody else, they became unclean as well. When Jesus touched the lepers, what happened to them? The curse was reversed. They became clean. When the woman who was bleeding, which made her ceremonially unclean, touched the hem of Jesus, ordinarily he would become unclean. But what happened? Her bleeding stopped. She was made clean again. When Jesus went into the tomb where Lazarus had been dead for four days and touched Lazarus, ordinarily he should have become unclean. But what happened? Jesus himself turned death into life. And so we can trust him. As Romans says, if we die with him, that we shall also rise with him. Brothers and sisters, if we die with him, we will rise with him. We have no need to fear of death. Now, I started off this message talking about the bad news. And I only gave you half of the relevant verse verses in those three or four verses that I shared with you. Now we've come to the good news. You can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm going to read those verses, but with what follows them. With the glorious buts. Look out for the buts in the Bible because they are beautiful and they change everything. Romans 3, 19 to 20, I'm going to read it all. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Therefore, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That is good news. 1 John 1.8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But... Sorry, that's pretty loud. I get excited. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus takes away the curse. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If for only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ 
has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Those loved ones that you have lost that are in Christ are one day going to be raised to life, eternal. I believe I'm going to see those children once again. This is a glorious hope we have, friends, because every one of us, though we put it behind the curtain, but though we put our dying loved ones in a hospice, though we try to hide it, but though we make death a taboo subject, it is something that is going to touch every one of us one day, and one day you too will find yourself lying on your deathbed, waiting for that moment where life is no more, and for that resounding trumpet sound where Christ calls us up from the grave to eternal life. This is why I love C.S. Lewis so much, because he writes in such a way as you can imagine what that glorious day will be like. When you read the books like The Last Battle, which Dave loves to quote as well, and I can't help it, but he says, come further up, come further in. All this that we have been living in is the shadowlands. It is unimaginable, the glories to which Christ has got for us. This is just a shadow. This is not even the, the true reality, just like a baby inside its mother's womb thinks, this is my world. All I can see, I can touch. This is, this is what life is. But something far better is waiting for us. Tim Keller, who died recently, I was listening to one of his sermons. He said, what do we have to fear death? Death can only make us better. Death is no longer the enemy. Jesus triumphed over it. He made a spectacle over it. Death, where is your sting? Cried the, cried the prophet. And Romans 6, verse 12, uh, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if we judge God only on the bad news, only on the first half of those verses, then we're going to be like many people that I know who have a loved one, someone close to my family, his father, his mother died. And that was the end of his faith. He said, I can't believe in a God that would allow her to die. If we judge before the buts, we judge prematurely and we allow bitterness and sorrow to take root in our hearts and to harden them, sometimes beyond repair. But if we can, with the eyes of faith, see that we worship the one who was risen from the dead. We worship the one who said, Lazarus, come out of your grave. We worship the one who through that same power, through that same Holy Spirit, worked through Peter so that Tabitha would stand up and rise from the dead itself. And we worship the one who was promised to raise us incorruptible, in perfection on that glorious day of his return. And friends, it doesn't end there. You see, Jesus kick-started all this when he rose himself from the dead. He was the first fruits of the dead, it says. Jesus then called Peter and restored him after his incredible failings of denying Jesus three times. And he said, Simon, feed my sheep if you love me. 
feed my sheep. And Simon went out and amongst him and the other 12 disciples and the Apostle Paul turned the world upside down. This band of terrified little weaklings were responsible for turning the world upside down. And we sit here today in Lobethal as inheritors of their legacy, of people who have encountered the risen Saviour, the risen Son of God, and have that same Holy Spirit living in us. Romans 8 talks about that. I want to just go into it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to resist. Read it when you get home. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it says, is living in us. And so we are called, just as Peter was called, to take on that mantle, to take on that mission, to go out into Lobethal, to go out into our families, to go out into our workplaces and bear that testimony that, friends, there is a curse and we have the answer to reverse the curse. We have a hope that transcends this short and vaporous life and we have that hope that is sure and steadfast. Now, before Jesus um, was crucified, as a way of reminding his disciples, he instituted what we now call communion, where we take of his blood and we drink his blood as a remembrance that he became the curse for us. We eat his body, the bread, as a remembrance that he's inside of us, that that very spirit has made us new so that we can be called righteous, so that we can stand confident and unashamed on that day of his coming and say, Lord, I am your son. I have been made clean. The effects of the curse has nothing on me. No longer does death have a hold on me. And we eat this in faith, believing that one day he who conquered death is going to raise us up from the dead. And we will join him on that glorious day in heaven with our resurrected brothers and sisters who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we take communion now, I want you guys to reflect on that. We're going to play a song that just really sums up the heart of this message in, in a far better way than I could. It's going to be, um, be playing. There's going to be words on there. I just encourage you to sit, to think, to pray, to worship God. And to let his truth, let the truth of these words soak over you as you go into this week. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Not sure if, yeah, we go up. How do you normally do it here? Yep. So when you're ready, stand up, make your way down, grab the drink, grab the bread, come back and let's sit and reflect it for... This is uh, five minutes we've got to just sit and enjoy um, ruminating on these truths. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.